Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Biddick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with the amazing Kelsey Delane. During adolescence, her opinion of herself was that she was too sensitive, ugly, weak, and hopeless. On her website, KelseyDelaneYoga.com, she describes aching for years to be relieved of the burden of herself. She tried therapy and medication and didn't find a satisfying solution until she discovered yoga at the age of 17. As she began to practice, she began to attempt things she previously believed she was incapable of doing. She stood in awe of her strength as she held a challenging posture and celebrated her ability to use her breath to endure discomfort. Her perceptions changed about herself and the world, and a door opened into endless possibilities. Her practice has been her anchor through teen pregnancy, divorce, mental illness, and everyday life. Today, she uses all she has learned and experienced to walk alongside other women as they refine the tools of their practice, to encourage them along the way, and challenge them toward growth. In short, after becoming the hero of her own life, she now helps others become the hero of theirs. Kelsey, it's an honor to welcome you to the Get Up Nation podcast. Thank you so much for that intro. It's a pleasure to be here. It's it's powerful to hear my own story from someone <laughs> else's mouth, that's for sure. Kelsey, will you share with Get Up Nation some of what it was like for you when you were an adolescent dealing with tremendous anxiety and depression? Uh-huh. So when I was a child, I was raised in an extremely religious community. I was indoctrinated under really strict guidelines of how the world worked and what my place was in it. And in that framework, I I came to understand myself as someone who was broken, someone who was um, sinful by nature, and that the only way that I could right that wrong was through achieving, through bettering myself, and through doing things the right way, and and pleasing God, so to speak. And in that understanding of the world, there was so much pressure to get things right. There was so much pressure to please my parents, to please the members of the church, to please God as I understood him. And that pressure felt really unbearable. And the the intensity of the thoughts and the feelings that I had, being that I was so protected from the world, right? So I, in this community that I lived in, we were really kind of isolated in our own bubble. And so on one hand, I had things really, really good. I had parents that were loving and gentle, and I had a community of support. And so I was protected from sort of the roughness of everyday life. I had all of my basic needs met, 
and I really felt a sense of belonging and a, a sense of love. So I had this buffer against adversity, and yet at the same time, I was under this immense pressure that if I took a misstep, that the, my world would come crashing down. And it did in that time, around probably 14 or 15 years old, I was in high school, and things about the church community that I was a part of started to unravel. And that was my foundation. That was how I was raised to see the world was through the lens of this indoctrination. And when that foundation crumbled, I felt like I was flailing, and I I didn't have any signposts along the way anymore, and I felt really betrayed and that I'd been lied to. So I just was grabbing in air and blindly taking steps, and I didn't really have any direction. So it felt like I was all of a sudden thrown out into the darkness without any experience or any tools or any real understanding of what the purpose was. So it was like these existential questions of who am I, where do I fit in the world? And at such a young age, battling with those heavy questions that still can be so confusing and conflicting for adults, I just felt lost. And, And even despite the seeming ease and comfort of my life, you know, I was raised in a middle-class family and really all the seeming comforts, but on the inside, just going to school was so overwhelming because of the fear of failing, Mm -hmm. and the fear of failing wasn't just failing in school, but if I failed in school, then I could fail sort of in my purpose or as a human, like it felt so big, so heavy, and so that was really... That was really the way that I walked through life at that point. So as you were going through this, you came across yoga, was it at the age of 17? Yeah, so luckily, I'm kind of young for my grade, so when I went away to college, I was only 17 years old, Hmm. and that's when I was first exposed to yoga. A friend invited me to class, and that opened up a whole can of worms. Was yoga in the religious tradition you were raised in, was that a taboo? So at that point, it was a total non-issue whether or not yoga aligned with my religious upbringing because at that point, for several years, I had withdrawn from the church. And and at that point, you know, because of the intense indoctrination, if you withdraw, then you're really shunned, for lack of a better word. So I wasn't a part of that religious community anymore, and neither was any of my immediate family. So I was really open to the experience, but it was presented to me as a physical exercise anyway. So it wasn't even linked in my mind or heart as something spiritual initially, because it was in a gym setting at the rec center on campus. And so I thought it was an opportunity to you know, get some deep stretching and maybe build some strength or increase my balance and those kind of physical benefits. As you began to practice, will you share some of your personal discoveries during that process that were impactful for you? There was really a profound moment in the first class I took, actually, where, you know, at this point, I was walking through the world with an idea of myself as really weak, not just physically, but emotionally I saw my sensitivity as a liability, and when I was on the mat for this first time, 
we were cued into a posture that required a lot of strength and balance at the same time. And I can't remember what the posture is, but I remember catching my reflection in the mirror. And when I looked in the mirror and I saw the shape I was in, I thought to myself, wow, that chick is strong. And then I had that realization that that chick is me. And it really was this moment, this aha, this really big, seemingly small, but really big opportunity that opened up for me, where in that moment, if I could experience strength and see that strength, then maybe I could see myself with new eyes and maybe something new and unexpected could unfold if I was able to do these things on the mat, then maybe that would translate off of the mat. I could see how that'd be extremely profound when you had a sense of weakness and then to see such power, to be startled by that power within you. I know there's been mentioned recently by thought leaders and influencers about how Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it doesn't end necessarily at the pinnacle of self-actualization. It actually peaks at transcendence of the self. I'm familiar with Maslow's hierarchy, and that makes perfect sense to me. I feel like that moment of awareness was the beginning of a journey that I'm still on, of allowing myself to unfold hmm. and to step into the truth of who I am, to step into my power, to step into my softness, and really create a lot of space for the fullness of who I am and that do the same for others. So rather than have the restriction of limiting beliefs of I am this way or I am that way or so-and-so is this way or that way, to create space for the light and the heavy, to create space for the joy and the grief and the love and the sorrow. So it's been, for me, a really compounded experience because that was you know, more than 12 years ago now and I've been on that road ever since and in each day as the evolution is occurring I don't necessarily recognize in each moment these little bursts of awareness quite the same because it feels so familiar now but as I look back in time I recognize the transformations that I've gone through in owning and embodying my unique gifts and what I have to offer the world and who I am and how to use my voice. And when I work with my students, it's a lot of bringing that opportunity to their attention because in the moment, it's hard for them to even imagine. I was speaking to one of my students about the way that yoga has allowed me to become friends with myself. Hmm. And just that statement alone was almost incomprehensible for her because the level of self-loathing huh. is so profound that the idea of befriending herself almost seems impossible. And I recognize, I relate to that feeling and that understanding of yourself because I've sat in that seat. And to see over time how the slow movement in a new direction, just the willingness to see myself differently in that moment in my reflection and say, wow, I can recognize in the mirror that that's a strong person. And then when I notice that that was me, I can acknowledge my strength just for that moment. And it didn't mean that my life changed right then, but it meant that I was able to open myself up to those potentialities. And then if I did that time and time again, 
multiplied over days and over years, now I stand in this place of power that I wouldn't have even recognized at that point. I've talked with others who have benefited profoundly by engaging in mindfulness practices after becoming frustrated by other treatment modalities for mental illness, anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress, or chronic stress. Why do you think yoga was such a powerful component for you as you sought to become more mentally healthy? Yeah, you know, I think for me, it was definitely an eclectic toolbox that was the key. And yoga was an integral part of that. I read a book called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy, uh, right around the same time that I started yoga and was practicing cognitive behavioral therapy with a professional and exploring different balancing of my biochemistry through medication. So I, I fully believe in the array of tools working together to support you. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the reason why yoga was so monumental in creating sustainable new ways of being was the way that it familiarized me with myself and provided an experience that was almost like a laboratory where on my yoga mat, my eternal life was not at stake. Because like I mentioned, as an adolescent, the indoctrination I experienced from the church at every moment, every decision, every choice felt like my eternal soul was at stake. If I made the wrong move, then I was on the wrong path and I was walking towards eternal damnation. And that's heavy. And so, you know, on the mat, I could, I could bring it to something so tangible and I could say, maybe, just maybe I can hold this posture that I don't think I can hold for one more breath than I thought was possible. And the, the physicality of that and the ability to make it something where nothing monumental was at stake, if I didn't hold the pose, nothing was going to explode or mm-hmm. end in catastrophe. So I was willing to experiment on the mat with such a low level of anxiety and the low level of fear of failure because of the safety of that space and the safety of being able to fail or to not follow through and to be okay. And then I started to witness that unfold on the mat. I started to witness myself actually physically fall out of a posture and be resilient. Hmm. I started to witness myself uh, finish a 60-minute yoga class that I didn't even want to start, but I made it all the way through, and I got to witness my ability to endure and that was something I didn't think I was capable of but my yoga practice was proving me wrong and that was was so easy to see and it was so inarguable it was right in front of my face that I was capable of more than I thought I was I love that how you know oftentimes we get these thoughts in our mind that to have a cathartic experience we need to climb a mountain or have some sort of severe amazing gut-wrenching experience where lightning bolts are flying and etc etc but i love how that profound catharsis takes place like you're describing in a place of simplicity on that mat and that place where we could all find it whether it's six feet on the ground in your bedroom of your apartment or at a local studio and you don't have to be a superhero or a movie star to experience it this is for real people 
and how amazing things can happen in those simple places and how accessible it is. I love how also how you said it was pretty much immediate when you first took that class, you thought it was a you know, it was a way to get fit or do some stretching, etc. But you were impacted right away by that image of power. It's basically there for us at all times, which is really inspiring and exciting. I love the way that we call it a practice. Hmm. Because for me, rolling out my mat and moving my body and linking movement with breath and becoming aware of my inner landscape it was a practice for real life and it was a practice of survival. Hmm. Like I could give myself permission to feel an emotion and I would come out the other side alive because the intensity of, of depression and anxiety, you feel like you will not survive. Hmm. That feels so real that you are incapable of moving through this, that the light at the end of the tunnel is completely invisible. And so when I would, have a 60-minute experience of unrolling my mat, being unsure of myself, not knowing if I was going to make it, and then I would make it on the other side. And then I would do that time and time again, and it was solidifying and giving me evidence to support because part of the struggle of any mental illness or the fog of depression or the fear of anxiety is that the experience you're having on the inside feels so real and you cannot argue it away you can't reason it away you can't rationalize I see so many people that are working with or love someone who is experiencing really intense uh, inner turmoil that they want to talk them out of it Mm -hmm. and explain why they don't need to feel that way or why that's not true but in my experience there was no amount of reasoning that could remove my certainty that I was not capable of surviving the intensity. Mm-hmm. But what could disprove it was time and time again, experiencing surviving and coming out the other side and having that repeated as a practice. I'm going to practice making it through this posture. I'm going to practice mm-hmm. feeling this feeling and, and surviving it. And then I was able to start to realize that my inner experience was not real. And then I could shift that. Wow. That's, That's very profound. And I'm smiling here as you talked about that because I do some work with elderly patients who deal with some severe mental illness. And just this last week, an elderly person who's dealing with some dementia and some mental health challenges, they believed that they were going to die and that they didn't want to go to sleep because of this immense gripping fear that was within them. And like you said, you can't convince somebody, you can't give them a logical argument. I was able to work both in the moments where they were having this experience and then in the moments where they woke up the next day. And before I left that evening, that person told me, you won't see me again because I'm going to die. And they said they weren't going to wake up. And it was very satisfying then in that next morning when that person did wake up, I was able to be present. And so it's not something you can convince anybody of, but to be able to walk that person then to the breakfast table and to not convince them or use any words, but just you're still here, I'm still here. And then the profound sense of that smile and a little bit of lightness in that person as they realize they have made it through an evening and that very troubling reality of all these things going on inside of me 
I might not be able to understand or trust or or all of these feelings that and thoughts that fly, that come and go and take us to places where we suffer so much. It's very satisfying then in the morning when that dawn breaks to recognize, oh, I did make it through. I am still here. And then it really, it really confronts us with something of what are all the things we believe in and how true are they? And, and if we stay in that present moment, we have a lot to learn in that moment where we wake up and we realize we haven't died or we haven't gone to a place of terrible, terrible reality and suffering and pain, but actually we're here and breakfast is being served. To hear you speak of that is powerful. I wanted to ask you if you'd speak a little specifically about anxiety. Anxiety has been defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. It's largely about fears of the unknown and the future. I think a lot about our children and the images they see today, especially in regard to news media and a lot in entertainment programming, to have children at pivotal developmental stages where they're forming their perspective on what this earth is, on what kind of society they live in. They see images that are tremendously troubling from natural disaster, warnings about the earth coming to an end before 2030 due to pollution, apathy about our environment and human negligence, acts of mass violence in public places, including schools where they're often taught to hide, run, or fight in the event of a mass violence in their hallways. There's a threat of terrorism, human trafficking, and online exploitation. Certainly our children are experiencing intense amounts of anxiety today, whether adults are able to decipher their behaviors and thoughts or not. How vital is it today for both adults and children to possess the tools and resources to be resilient, to be that hero that strives to live without fear, shame, guilt, or hate? to be heroes in a world that's desperate for them. I think it's absolutely essential that we teach our children, I have two daughters of my own, how to cope and, and how to embrace and accept. So much of anxiety is resistance. The reason that there is intense discomfort is because the mind and the body are in survival mode. You know, so first of all, the, the biochemistry that's happening when someone is experiencing anxiety is this place of fight, flight, or freeze. And they're relying on their biology for self-protection. So the belief of the mind and body of the nervous system is that you are in imminent danger. And a lot of times, we're not. A lot of times we're experiencing anxiety when we're not in imminent danger. And so it's a matter of learning how to intersect the feedback loop from the brain to the body to communicate back up to the brain that we are safe by using body language, by using breath work to relay information to the brain, to the nervous system that it's okay to relax and to, to shift from the sympathetic nervous system that's turned on to keep us safe into the parasympathetic nervous system that can help us rest and digest. So first distinguishing what is the mechanism of my body that produces an anxious response, what is that for? It's to keep me safe. And sometimes it's appropriate. It is appropriate that if we're involved in a, in a terrifying situation where our life is in danger, it's appropriate that the muscles tighten, the breath gets short and shallow and into the chest, 
and that the muscles engage for us to flee or to fight or to protect ourselves. And all of our higher order functioning in the brain shuts down so that we can just go into what we need in our brainstem to respond with impulse. So when we're in that part of our nervous system, we are behaving through impulse and self-protection. And that's appropriate when you don't have time to protect yourself or to evaluate or to analyze what's happening. You just need to take action. The problem is we live in that state. We're not meant to live chronically in that state. And so with our children, if we can teach them how to even recognize when they're in that state, to recognize the difference between having a calm body, having a calm mind, and having an excited body, an excited mind, um, how it feels to have adrenaline pulse through you, how it feels to have racing thoughts. So I have a nine-year-old daughter and I have a seven-month-old, and with my nine-year-old, her whole life, you know, I, I found yoga and established a practice before I ever became a mom, and so we would use language around not just what are you feeling, but... I would bring her attention to her breathing. So I would say when she would start to cry and kind of hyperventilate in a tantrum or an emotional outburst, I would cue her into deep breathing because it's impossible to stay in that hyperventilated state and continue to cry if you are breathing and we would use sound. So I would I would tell her to take a breath in and to say, huh like a really deep sound that would force the breath out. And it's, and you can see the response in the body. You can see the shoulders start to relax. You can see that she wasn't able to cry with the same intensity. And then I would ask her to tell me where in her body, where in your body do you feel that? And she would point or touch a certain part of her body, typically her stomach or her heart. And then I would ask her, what color is it? You know, because a child doesn't often have the language mm-hmm. to even articulate. So we can we can frame it in, in ways that they can start to express and embody. So they're even putting two and two together for themselves. Wow. This is what it feels like to be excited, fearful, etc. And then on the other hand, this is what it feels like to remind my body, I am safe and I can breathe deeply mm-hmm. and I can respond mindfully and intentionally and so with our youth and teenagers with the pressure in school and social media and all of these stress-inducing things that they live with chronically I think it's important for us as adults to even recognize that they are chronically stressed Mm -hmm. to recognize the pressure that they're put under and to begin to exemplify what it means to be in touch with our own mind-body. So to recognize when we're stressed, it's hugely impactful for my daughter to see me identify, you know what, Thea, I am not breathing deeply right now, Hmm. and so I'm going to take a moment to take a break and calm my body before we move forward. Hmm. So she can watch me recognize in my own self that I'm starting to escalate. The anxiety is rising, and then and she can watch me use my tools to dial it back before I proceed. Because a lot of times, like we talked about before, we want to rationalize with someone who is in an intense state. So right. they're, you know, having an anxiety attack or they're overly concerned about something that's imminent in the future. 
feel crippled and fearful and frozen, and we want to talk to them right. about it. But that's not even where they are in their brain. We right. need to get them first in their body. You have to, we have to get them into a place where they can even use the higher order functioning of their of their brain, which is only accessible when we've dialed it back um, and kind of taken us out of that red zone into the green zone, into the place of connection and integration. So I think it's really important that adults resist the temptation to minimize what teenagers right. in particular are experiencing right. and to not try to shush it or push it aside or say, well, don't think that, don't feel that way. Right. We need to do the reverse. We need to help them go into it yeah. because so much of anxiety, like I said, moments ago is about resistance. And when I work with my students, one of the biggest things that I help them uncover is the main reason they're anxious is because they don't want to feel anxious. So they're in fact creating this inner experience of not wanting whatever is to be. Right. So whatever it is that's happening, they don't want it to be. And that is embodied as anxiety, increased heart rate and ventilation and the increased rate of their thinking and the quality of their thoughts being really fearful. And so instead, I teach them, what if we instead start to recognize what anxiety actually feels like, start to describe it. And they'll describe things like, well, you know, my, my, I clench my jaw hmm. or I feel like my heart is beating so fast or, um, I start to get hot. These are a lot of symptoms that we feel in the body. And then I ask them, what if it's okay to feel hot hmm. and to feel your heart pumping? What if we could create some space and just feel that and notice what it feels like? And then all of a sudden, there's this space between who I am and something I'm experiencing. Right. And the more we create that distance, we realize, oh, this is something that is happening to me. This is something I'm experiencing, right. but it's not who I am. Right. And and then we can allow it a little bit better, a little bit more effortlessly. This generation needs these things that you're doing. It's just so satisfying to hear the positive things that are being done that, that frequently aren't shared. It just reminds me of the privilege of this podcast in sharing the things that you're doing. So as you began to wake to your power and to receive the reality that you were worthy of love and that you could do incredible things um, and that you can create a powerful impact on this earth, when did you begin to create your business that, that helps you create empowered heroes on this earth in this pivotal time where we need them to walk our hallways and neighborhoods, to guide and comfort our children, to dispel fear, self-hatred, anxiety, and replace those things with kindness and empathy, compassion, and power? Well, it started with the rug being pulled out from under me. Hmm. <laughs> There's a quote I love. I don't know the author, but it says, a bird sitting on a tree is not afraid of the branch breaking not because her trust is in the branch, but her own wings. And when I unexpectedly got pregnant at 19 years old and I got married and then before a year later was divorced and 21 years old and a single mom and 
got on food stamps and cash aid and found myself in this position I had never imagined from the upbringing I had, so privileged, and then flashed forward from that moment of seeing my reflection in the mirror in a yoga pose and recognizing my strength, and then being in a dressing room in a nonprofit called Working Wardrobes where women are given the opportunity to shop in secondhand clothing for things to wear to interviews and I saw myself in that makeshift dressing room and I, I looked at myself and I saw in that moment of seeming bottom where I was really humbled. I was really stripped of the things that I thought made me strong. Hmm. I recognized how strong that woman was again and it was from that place of having the very things I was afraid of happening happen. Right. So having having a failed marriage, having a daughter and out of wedlock, having the judgment of society, having to finish my college degree and being a working single mom and figure out how to support myself financially. Hmm. Those things gave me the opportunity to expand and to step into this potential that I had witnessed initially but hadn't experienced yet until I was forced to. And in being forced to, that's when I really understood the power of adversity, that it, it was those moments that gave me the ability to push against the resistance, to create that positive resistance that builds muscle, that builds character, and to watch myself not just on the mat survive, but watch myself in life survive and come out of the other side of things that I never had wished for myself. And so once I realized that for myself and went through teacher training after teacher training and I finished my degree, I worked with youth through the nonprofit sector for a while, and then I started to integrate these things. And in teaching yoga in the traditional studio setting, I recognized that most people were experiencing that initial spark of, oh, something's happening on the inside of this physical practice, and I saw that there was a block for them experiencing more of that, so I continued to study, and I found a teacher that unpacked the wisdom of the Yoga Sutras for me, which is a foundational text of yoga, Mm -hmm. and that text is, to me, a psychology text. It's all about the mind, and that was the point of recognition for me of taking this practice that was introduced to me as physical, but I always experienced it as internal, and then becoming familiar with this text that unpacks yoga as a practice of the mind, that's when it all clicked, and I was able to translate this ancient wisdom that's actually very practical into modern language for people and deliver it in yoga classes and deliver it in one-on-one settings and deliver it in workshops where people could understand why is it that when I practice yoga, I'm a more relaxed driver on the 405? Why is it that when I practice yoga, I'm a little bit more patient with my children? What's happening? And so that realization that in the vast majority of yoga communities, the philosophy, the foundation of yoga is missing often. So I saw it as my passion and my duty almost to step into that space 
and to start to connect the dots for other people of why these transformations were happening, why this physical practice was so powerful and transformative and what was happening on the inner workings of the mind. So that's how I started to teach students that. And now my passion is bringing that to teachers so that more teachers are able to connect the dots for their students. And I do the same thing working in a nonprofit organization called Uplift Teen Yoga, where we teach yoga and mindfulness to teen girls. So we use the physical practice, but we help them unpack what's really happening on the inside. And it's so beautiful to watch because, to be honest, no one is too young to make these connections if we provide the opportunity and we expose them to the tools. You'll see really young kids and young teens making profound connections between their mind and their body, uh, connections from the mat into their relationships, and acquainting themselves with their own power and then having the opportunity through adversity to rely on that power, to exercise it, right. and blow themselves away. And it's, right. really, it's really inspiring to see. And that brings me to a quote I, I saw from one of your clients, and they said this about your services. Kelsey is able to really listen to what I'm struggling with emotionally, or even just trying to verbalize. And she's able to put that into a context that relates to yoga. It all just clicks for me. I feel like I'm able to work through some things that I can't work through on my own, but in a way that doesn't make me feel like my life is falling apart. I can't wait to meet again with Kelsey. So when you look back at where you were as an adolescent and you hear these words said about you by one of your clients, do you ever experience a sense of gratitude that, that you were given those challenges as a young person because of how they have helped create what, who you are today? What is your thoughts as you 100%. think about that? So much gratitude. So much gratitude. And my yoga practice personally is really rooted in a relationship with what I call God. And so I've cycled back, you know, from my traumatic religious upbringing to where I am now. I have found through my yoga practice a connection to my own strength and also to a strength of a power greater than myself. And that uh, recognition of that power moving through me, I feel such a gratitude for the way that my life has unfolded to give me the opportunity to dig deep and to trust in my own inner strength and also to rely on something that's even greater than me and to watch that greater something, that force in this universe that we live in, to create beauty out of the struggle and to genuinely, truthfully, as cliche, as cheesy as it sounds, the, the very things that I would have wished away if I had had a magic wand years ago as a teenager, as a 19-year-old who was pregnant, as a 21-year-old going through a divorce, if I had had a magic wand, the very things that I would have wished away are the very things that I am most grateful for and treasure because I would not have been molded and shaped into the resilient woman and mother and partner and teacher and friend that I am today had it not been for those very experiences. And I wouldn't be able to hold space for students like the student whose quote you just read or the teenage girls that I sit in a circle with every week. I wouldn't be able to have the capacity to listen and have compassion and provide hope had I not walked through those things 
So it's really such a gift. And what's most beautiful, in my opinion, about that is that gratitude I feel for what I've walked through now in the past. Now, when I face adversity, I experience that hope in the adversity. So it used to be that I would look in hindsight and see the gift, but I've been practicing it for so many years now that I can start to see the gift in the middle of the pain. And that has been so freeing because I'm able to take steps in fearful directions or to recognize that I'm experiencing anxiety or that I'm experiencing grief or sorrow or whatever other emotions we tend to run away from, I can recognize that they're present and at the same time bear witness to the gift. And it's, it's changed the game for me immensely. What a message for those listening who are dealing with pain, injury, cancer, poverty, addiction, whatever it is, whatever we're facing. This is a theme that continues to recur in these interviews that I do, these amazing guests that come on this show like you, Kelsey, have gone through tremendous adversity and they begin to understand a kind hand behind it and how frustrating and painful it can be in that moment. But that transition that happens when you're able to accept where we are at and to say in that discomfort and in that pain, that that is a gift and it may make you more powerful. It may make you more able to be compassionate. It may not all feel good at this present moment where so many messages we receive right now are we have to feel good all the time and we have to be problem free. It's so powerful in that adversity, in that moment to, to receive that, to accept that and to say that this all in the end may be a gift. It doesn't make it necessarily easier all the time, but sometimes we can get to that point like you have described where we don't run from adversity, but that we're able to accept the discomfort or the pain that we're in and believe that it may bring about something greater than we've ever imagined. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, I would. And I would say you know, to someone who's listening who's in the storm right now, that the first step is inviting yourself to think about what if I was no longer unhappy about my unhappiness, right? That's what Eckhart Tolle in his book, The Power of Now, invites us to try on. And so just the very action of opening to the potential. So it doesn't mean that you have to like what's happening. I think we tend to go to extremes. It's either... We completely resist what's happening and we're angry and resentful. Or on the flip side, there's spiritual bypassing where we want to be positive and not acknowledge the bad stuff and, and everything's rainbows and butterflies. But I, I believe, and based on my experience, the, the beauty lies in the middle where we can embrace and create space for everything that's present, the sadness, the anger, the pain, and at the same time, invite a softness around it, a surrender to it, and to see how that shifts the energy or even the intensity, because it takes a layer off. If we're unhappy, and then we're unhappy about the unhappiness, it adds to it. So if 
if you have an experience you don't want, like an experience of having cancer, if then on top of having cancer, you're also unhappy about having cancer, then now you have two problems Hmm. rather than just the initial one. And so I would invite not the sense of trying to downplay or ignore or deny the pain. The pain is real. And, and like you said, we often are encouraged to run away from it, but instead to take it, take a look at it, look right at it and make more room for it. And then ask yourself, what if I was no longer unhappy about my unhappiness huh. and just in experience that shift that might be available? Before I move into my final few questions, I just wanted to also mention to Get Up Nation as they check out Kelsey's website and the services offered there, www.kelseydelaneyoga.com. I want to mention how you give back. Your business has donated to withmyowntwohands.org to help provide water and agricultural projects that fund education and make self-reliant communities. Everymothercounts.org, which works to make pregnancy and childbirth safe for everyone everywhere. A21.org, which works to eradicate human trafficking through awareness, intervention, and aftercare. FamiliesForward.org to help local Orange County families who are homeless or at risk of being homeless to regain economic independence and find a stable home for their children. TheBreathNetwork.org that connects survivors of sexual violence with trauma-informed sliding-scale holistic healing. I love how your service goes way beyond simple profitability at your business. You are courageous enough to pursue answers through your suffering, and you now alleviate the suffering of countless others through a myriad of ways. I would like to end the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand specifically the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Absolutely. Okay. Who are you thankful for today? I am thankful for my husband because he is the fire in my life. I can be very soft and water-like and grounded, and then he embodies the intensity that sometimes I need. Awesome. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? I am thankful for my breath because regardless of where I am or what I'm doing, I can always access it. And it has the ability to bring me into my body and into the moment, regardless of whatever other resources I have at my disposal. And how do you fuel the fire within you? I surround myself with people that embody the values and the ideals that I believe in. And seeing the passion in their eyes and seeing their ability to overcome adversity and seeing their uniqueness and their drive helps to remind me that I have that same power within me. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? To value the unknowing, to value the place that feels dark, the times where you feel uncertain and confused and doubtful that there's actually a lot of healing and space and freedom in that unknowing. What are you doing today you never thought you could? Uh, I am raising two very resilient, very gentle, and very fierce daughters. 
Awesome. I would not have imagined that from the very fragile, scared adolescent that I once was. And what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could? Tomorrow I will show up as an example to students and teachers of how to embrace exactly who you are and what your story is and to let those very idiosyncrasies help to bring light and healing and love to people around me. Kelsey, I'm honored you took the time to come on the Get Up Nation podcast with me today. How can people learn more about you and your work? You mentioned my website, KelseyDelaneYoga.com. You can check out my services. I'm launching an online course that will be available at the end of this month that helps students and teachers walk through using the tools of yoga philosophy of the yoga teachers of Patanjali to create more vitality in their mind, their body, and their relationships. And you can find me on social media platforms at Kelsey Delane Yoga on Instagram, Facebook. I spend most of my time on Instagram, but I do have a Facebook community where people can meet some like-minded individuals and join together and uplifting each other a Facebook group called Sutra Sangha. That's S-U-T-R-A-S Sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for creating this platform. The, the stigma and the isolation and the fear can add such a barrier to people finding solutions, finding tools, finding community, finding support and compassion. So I so appreciate your perspective on adversity and the invitation for people to share their unique stories so hopefully your listeners can hear themselves and see themselves in these stories and recognize that the power lies within them too awesome. so thank you for that such an honor to speak with kelsey delane of kelseydelaneyoga.com she is a powerful example of someone in our world who has transformed her experiences of severe depression and anxiety as a child into lessons that transcend barriers between parents and children, that presents to others the powerful ability to navigate thought and emotion as we face the challenges and stressors of developing and growing in our turbulent world. How sacred are those moments when we guide each other into an experience of living that is wise, kind, peaceful, and empowered regardless of adversity, unfettered by fear, shame, or hate. What would happen if when adversity strikes us, we follow Kelsey's example and allow ourselves to birth the powerful gift within it instead of compounding our suffering by resisting? We would rise up on wings and sail the breath beneath.